Gail King, and welcome to CBS Mornings on the Go. And here we go ahead on this Tuesday, October 10th. Nora O'Donnell is leading our team coverage from Israel today. She sits down with a mom who helped her family escape from Hamas terrorists. You've got to hear her story. And we'll talk with John Kirby. He's from the National Security Council about the U.S. response to the war and the fate of Americans that are caught up in the conflict. And award-winning journalist. That would be the lovely Lisa Ling joins us at the table today. She's got her first piece for CBS News. She's now part of the family. She's got an inside look at what may be the most controversial high school class in America. It's AP African American Studies. All that and more right after these messages. Hey, hey, Prime members, talking to you. You can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Let's get right to our top story. Israel's massive retaliation for the deadly and unprecedented attack on Israel by Hamas. More air and missile strikes rained down on Gaza overnight ahead of an expected invasion by Israel's army. The images there show widespread devastation in the tightly populated Palestinian territory. Meanwhile, a U.S. defense official has accused Hamas of, quote, ISIS-level savagery against Israelis in Saturday's attack and warned Hezbollah against attacks in northern Israel. Israel has now confirmed that Hamas killed more than 1,000 people, bringing the combined death toll to around 1,800. The White House says at least 11 Americans are among the dead. One of them is identified as Deborah Matthias, who was killed with her husband when Hamas attacked their home near the Gaza border. The Biden administration says it's still trying to learn if Hamas is holding American hostages. Overnight, Israel's military says it hit over 200 targets in Gaza. The U.N. says nearly 200,000 people in Gaza have been displaced, fleeing from their homes because of Israel's retaliatory airstrikes. In a televised speech, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said Israel's response to the Hamas assault will reverberate for generations. This morning, Israel's military said it will attack Hamas everywhere. Israel will mobilize 360,000 reserve troops. Hamas says if they attack, Israeli hostages will pay a high price. Holly Williams is about 70 miles south of Tel Aviv, not far from Gaza. Holly, good morning. Good morning. Israel is expected to launch a ground invasion of the Gaza Strip in the days ahead. Its military says it's massed 35 battalions in areas close to the border with Gaza. And last night, Hamas threatened to execute the hostages that it's holding. Israeli airstrikes are hammering the Gaza Strip. Israel says it's targeting Hamas, which it and the U.S. designate as a terrorist group. Palestinian officials say more than 700 people have been killed, including children. In the town of Khan Yunus, Palestinians dug through the rubble with their bare hands in a search for survivors. 
Israel's ordered a total siege of the Gaza Strip with no food, fuel or medicine for its residents. Though Israel didn't start this war, Israel will finish it. Once the Jewish Israel's Prime state, Minister Benjamin Netanyahu promised his people they would have vengeance. No Hamas will understand that by attacking us, they've made a mistake of historic proportions. We will exact a price that will be remembered by them and Israel's other enemies for decades to come. The terrorist attack... Uh, Yakub Biton is the mayor of one of the districts close to Israel's border with the Gaza Strip that's been targeted by Hamas with barrages of rockets. What do you want your government to do? What do you want your military not, to do? It's not my job. <laughs> uh, they know what to do. They know what to do. It's been three days since Hamas gunmen launched an incursion deep into Israel's territory, slaughtering civilians wherever they found them. More than 100 people were killed at the Be'eri kibbutz alone, a small farming community now steeped in blood. Israel says around 1,500 militants have been killed on its land. And Hamas also took hostages. They claim over a hundred of them, including women, children and the elderly. Now chips the militants can use in a game of deadly blackmail. Last night, via this audio message, Hamas threatened to kill one of the hostages every time Israel bombs Palestinian civilians without warning, also threatening to broadcast it on video. Newly released Hamas propaganda shows the militants training for their unprecedented assault. There are still big questions here about how Israeli intelligence failed to detect the planning for such a massive attack. There have also been deadly exchanges of fire between Israel and the Hezbollah militant group along this country's northern border with Lebanon. A Pentagon official says the U.S. is deeply concerned about the possibility of that becoming a second front in this conflict. Gail. Boy, Holly Williams in southern Israel, we thank you. Now let's bring in CBS Evening News anchor and man managing editor, that's Nora O'Donnell, who's in Tel Aviv. Nora, good morning to you. I watched your coverage last night, and it is tough to watch what we're seeing here and what you're seeing firsthand. It's also hard to hear that this could possibly get worse. That's right. There are grave concerns this morning about a widening conflict, and there is a lot of diplomatic activity that is happening around the world to make sure that this does not escalate any further. But the news this morning is that the Israeli Defense Force is now mobilizing some 360,000 reservists as they get ready for a ground invasion of Gaza. And you just heard from Holly Williams about that heartbreaking story from one community in Israel where we have learned that more than 100 people were killed in the Hamas attacks. And now we are getting a firsthand account of how one family escaped. We spoke to a woman who made it out with her husband and three children after the attackers set fire to her apartment building. Mary Masika tells us her family barely survived. They woke up to missiles early Saturday morning. Then militants arrived in her kibbutz, shooting and setting fire to apartments. What do you think would have happened to you and your family if you had stayed in your apartment? Burned to death. 
Instead, Muri, her husband, and three children decided to make their escape, jumping out of their second floor window. When did you decide that you had to jump? We couldn't uh, breathe uh, because of the smoke and because of the gas. Neighbors ushered them into a bomb shelter where they waited for seven hours as Hamas attacked. We know that there are bodies over there. Um, we know that many people got killed. We don't have names yet. Eventually, Israeli soldiers arrived, evacuating them through gunfire. Their bus hit on the way to Tel Aviv. Do you have any clothes with you, any belongings? Nothing. Now in Tel Aviv, she says she's been aided by the kindness of strangers. As Miri told us, they left with absolutely nothing. She didn't even have shoes on, barefoot. She left her kibbutz with her family. Now she's here, and as you can see, the donations are pouring in. People need everything. Miri read us chilling WhatsApp messages she received from other mothers during the massacre, begging for help. In the house of my mother, they put a hand grenade. Uh, we have shootings. Please come help us. Her 15-year-old son is still in the hospital awaiting surgery after breaking his foot jumping from the window. And she says her daughters are barely sleeping, terrified. Considering the situation, they're okay, but not inside. They're broken. They're broken from the inside. And Gail, you can see and hear the fear from Miri and her family. Her daughters say they have been unable to sleep at night. When we met with her, they didn't even want to leave her side so that we could talk to their mother about what they experienced there in that kibbutz. And Gail, there's new information this morning from humanitarian organizations. They have gone in, they have cleared that kibbutz, more than 100 bodies found. Um, so the sheer scale of the terror that these families experienced is incomprehensible. Boy, Nora, I fear for the families, but I also fear for those of you who are covering this story. I mean, we are seeing incredible images of the people on the ground, the journalists who are bringing the story to us. Fortunately, that's the only way we get to know about it. So I thank you for that. I worry about you guys out there. But I'm wondering for you, what is standing out to you? What are you seeing and hearing? that stands out to you as you're covering this story. You're a mother, you've got three children, and I know well, that this must be frightening for you too. I'm thinking about the hundreds of thousands of people that have been displaced, Gail, um, the children who are experiencing uh, this terror. You know, Israeli's prime minister said yesterday that the attacks in Gaza will reverberate for generations, and no doubt they will for the people here. Um, children uh, who experienced the terror that they did in these communities and kibbutz will remember this uh, for a lifetime. Uh, this whole region is changed. I think that's why you see the response from the U.S. government, of course, uh, bringing in an aircraft carrier, a number of battleships. There is grave concern this morning uh, that this conflict may widen. Gail. That's the last thing we want to hear. Nora O'Donnell, we thank you in Tel Aviv. Please, please be careful. Be sure to watch Nora on tonight's CBS Evening News. She will be live from Israel. We spoke earlier to John Kirby. He is the National Security Council's coordinator for strategic communications. Admiral, good morning. Good to see you again. Thank you very much, Vlad. Good to be with you. What's the latest information you have to share with us? Right now, we can confirm 11 Americans dead. Uh, we do believe, sadly, that that number uh, will probably go up. 
Uh, we'll uh, obviously keep tracking that as closely as we can. Uh, we also know there's a number of Americans who are wounded. We probably don't have a full sense of exactly how many that is because not everybody is maybe seeking medical care. And, and we also know that there are a number of Americans that are unaccounted for, that their families have come forward uh, and telling the State Department they don't know where they are. And so we're doing everything we can to try to find out what their whereabouts are, what their condition uh, might be. Sadly, uh, we have to accept the grim possibility that some of those Americans who are unaccounted for could be of those that are being held hostage by Hamas. And, and that's that's the thing that's catching all of us. I watched you yesterday, Admiral, Admiral Kirby, and I felt the same after hearing heartbreaking story after heartbreaking story. It does get to you. And I saw you, too, get choked up. The, the, the sorrow is just incomprehensible to me. And when you talk about Americans possibly being held hostage, if that is the case, would the Biden administration consider letting American military work with Israeli military to get them out? Are those conversations even happening? We are absolutely talking to Israeli officials uh, about the hostage crisis and the hostage situation. Uh, we have offered uh, assistance in the term uh, in the in the scope of experts hostage recovery experts that we'd be willing to have coordinate with uh, Israeli officials. Uh, I don't want to go beyond that right now. Obviously, the safety and security of American citizens overseas is a top priority for President Biden. You've seen us uh, act as uh, swiftly and efficiently as we can to get Americans home who have been held hostage overseas. Uh, we're not going to lose focus on this. But again, I, I can't confirm that Americans are actually among the hostages uh, this morning. We're still trying to get more information about that. We also know Benjamin Netanyahu has been very clear. The retaliation is just is is just getting started. And we know that they have the right to defend themselves. We all get that. But is there a red line that the U.S. is saying, OK, we can't be with you on this particular point. We can't do this right now. Our focus is making sure that the Israeli Defense Forces have what they need uh, to defend themselves uh, and to take the offensive action that they believe they need. Uh, to take. Uh, now, look, I mean, nobody wants to see innocent civilians, any more innocent civilians right. uh, hurt on either side. Uh, and we, we always uh, talk with uh, uh, with our counterparts and our allies and partners uh, about that. I mean, we believe that uh, certainly while Israel has this right to defend itself and we respect that, of course, we also we also know that uh, Israel, like us, has shared values, shared interests, belief in the rule of law and that we're stronger together when we observe that rule of law. So, Admiral, what kind of conversations is the United States having with the Israelis about the status quo? Because clearly the status quo is not working. It's been 75 years. Uh, is there a real solution that the United States is prepared to offer both sides of these parties to come to an end? Uh, because I think for people in, the, in Gaza and the West Bank, for Israelis, uh, it seems never ending. There are people that have been born into this conflict. So what is yeah. President Biden prepared to do to bring both parties to the table? He remains prepared and remains committed to the idea, the promise of a two-state solution. He still believes uh, that an independent state for Palestine and an independent state, obviously, for, uh, uh, for the Israeli people, remains the best path forward for peace and security there uh, in the Middle East. It's something that we've been working on since day one of this administration, and we'll keep doing that. Obviously, in these early hours after this dreadful, reprehensible set of, of terrorist attacks by Hamas, uh, we want to make sure that the Israeli people know that we are supporting them, that they have this right to defend themselves, that they will get the uh, security assistance that they need to do so. Uh, so in these early hours, that's really where our focus is. But that doesn't mean that we're abandoning the idea of a two-state solution. All right, Admiral John Kirby, as always, we thank you, sir. My pleasure.
President Biden is scheduled to deliver remarks on the fighting between Israel and Hamas at one o'clock Eastern from the White House. Of course, we will bring you live coverage in a CBS News special report. Airstrikes targeted Hamas targets in Gaza's capital this morning, but UN officials say several apartment towers have also been hit. A short time ago, CBS News spoke with Hassan Jabbar. He lives in Gaza about the siege imposed by Israel after the Hamas assault. This is unhuman to let people die from the lack of food and water. Now we are about to have a problem in water. If there is no electricity, there is no water. Here in Borish camp, which is uh, the most populated area in, in, th in this area, in the middle area, it means no, no food, no electricity. We are suffering even we can't go to the bathroom. It is inhuman. No one in the 21 century imagined that this will happen. So we want to spend some time this morning to tell you more about Gaza, one of the world's most densely populated areas. More than two million people live in an area barely twice as big as Washington, D.C. Its border with Israel is about 25 miles long. And Gaza is controlled by Hamas, which the United States and its Western allies consider to be a terrorist organization. The group has always had one overriding goal, to wipe Israel off the map. Now Israel says it intends to do the same to Hamas. MTS Tayeb is in Tel Aviv with a closer look at Gaza's rulers. MTS, good morning. Good morning. You know, Vlad, over the years, I've made frequent trips to Gaza and have spoken with several Hamas leaders. And, you know, they know their military capabilities are no match for Israel's enormous firepower. But what they lack in firepower, they make up for in ideology and sheer determination. That resolve, despite the odds, may be what caught Israel so off guard. Since its founding, Hamas has made its ideals clear. Israel has no right to exist and that every Israeli citizen is a legitimate target. They didn't hide what they're planning to do, even for one second. Avi Isakarov is a former Israeli undercover commando and journalist who has interviewed several Hamas leaders. They said it very honestly and very clearly. We will not stop till we will eliminate the state of Israel. When Hamas swept into power in Gaza in 2007, it was almost immediately blockaded by land, sea and air by Israel and Egypt. Since then, it's fought four major wars with Israel. The leader of Hamas's military wing, Mohammed Daif, one of the self-declared masterminds of this weekend's attacks, said it was in response to recent Israeli raids on the Al-Aqsa Mosque in East Jerusalem, known to Jews as the Temple Mount. They also said it was for the detention of thousands of Palestinians in Israeli jails. And he said it was so that Israel would understand its, quote, time of rampaging without accountability has ended. But for Dave, attacking Israel was also personal. His entire family was killed in an Israeli airstrike that was meant to target him. Still, there are other major factors at play. Over the past few months, the Biden administration has also been trying to broker a normalization agreement between Saudi Arabia and Israel. We've been actively working on trying to help uh, Israel and Saudi Arabia normalize their relations. 
uh, as well as Israel broadening its relationships with many other countries in the region uh, and beyond. Relationships Hamas and many Palestinians see as the Arab world's most wealthy and powerful nation, choosing Israel over them and putting an end to their aspirations for an independent Palestinian state. But Hamas's brazen and brutal assault over the weekend may actually be the end of Hamas itself. But at the end of the day, it gave the Israelis, all of the Israelis, the feeling that we need to go to war and eliminate Hamas's regime once and for all. Now, we may very well see the end of Hamas and its 15-year rule over Gaza in the coming weeks or months. But whatever happens next, Palestinians, whether they support Hamas or not, and many do not, they will pay a painful price for this weekend's attacks. Nate. MTS, while I have you, I want to tap into your wealth of knowledge for our viewers. What else should people know about Hamas? Nate, Hamas is an extremely complex organization. On the one hand, it is an armed group capable of carrying out the horrors that we've seen in southern Israel. On the other side, it is elected. They were voted for into power 15 years ago by Palestinians and provide basic services like most other governments. And yet, Hamas rules Gaza with an iron fist. And with that iron fist, many Palestinians have no choice but to live under their rule. Next. MTS Tayeb and Tel Aviv, you and the team, please stay safe. Shifting gears now this morning, we're getting an exclusive look inside what may be the most controversial high school class in the country. The new advanced placement course in African-American studies is being piloted at hundreds of U.S. high schools. Award-winning journalist and producer Lisa Ling, we're happy to say, is now a CBS News contributor. She got to sit in on one of the classes. Lisa teamed up with our CBS News investigative unit, and this is her first story for us. Lisa, I say welcome. We are so thrilled to have you. Thank you so much, Gail. And I just have to say that my heart bleeds for those innocent people in Israel and in Gaza whose lives have been turned upside down. But the story I'm bringing you today is about who gets to teach history. And I think it's important as our world is in such disarray. Now, AP African American Studies is at its core a history course, tracing the black experience from early African kingdoms to slavery and the civil rights movement through today. It's drawn fire from some GOP officials who say it's an example of wokeism infiltrating education. Now, we wanted to witness the class ourselves and hear from the students at the center of this culture war. It's a Thursday morning at Dorsey High School in Los Angeles, and I'm observing a class discussion. What have you learned? What did you know of African women during slavery? Unlike any I've ever heard before. It was entirely okay, permissible to rape a slave, kill a slave, hang a slave, lynch a slave, but he taught him to read. You were just as bad as a slave. Led by Donald Singleton, who's been teaching at Dorsey for 26 years, these juniors and seniors are a month in to a national experiment. The claim is that Africans came to this country skilled. Can I see? I need evidence. There was kings and queens, there was trading. They didn't get everything from the Europeans. Working to earn college credit through a new advanced placement course on African-American studies. Give it up for step, my gosh. Like all other AP classes, African-American studies is designed by the nonprofit College Board with help from university professors. The class began taking shape in 2020 after the killing of George Floyd 
sparked nationwide protests. The excitement for me is starting in Africa. And for millions and millions of black kids, Africa is born in them. At Dorsey, where the student body is mostly black and Latino, the hope is that this class will entice a demographic that hasn't sought out AP classes at the same rate as others. How have your students been responding to the class? My students come in excited, they've done the reading, and they wonder, wow, I never learned this in any of my other classes. More than 700 U.S. high schools like this one in Columbia, South Carolina, are offering the course this year. And next year, it should be available to any school that wants it. How do you overcome the bondages the society has placed upon you? You have to teach yourself, teach others. When I think back on the way American history was taught to me, for lack of a better term, it was pretty black and white. What I experienced here, though, was so much more nuanced. It was so much more humanized. And some in this country seem to have a problem with that. In January, Florida banned it, writing the course was inexplicably contrary to Florida law and significantly lacks educational value. We want education, not indoctrination. Do you believe you are indoctrinating your kids? I inculcate my kids with the idea that you're just as beautiful just as brilliant as anyone else. That's my job every day. You really think of them as your kids. All of them are my kids, nothing to do with race or ethnicity. Not long after Florida banned the class, the College Board amended the curriculum, removing content on systemic racism, the Black Lives Matter movement, and the push for reparations. The curriculum that is being taught today, do you believe it's been sanitized? Yes, I do. Though the College Board said the changes were part of their regular development process, some educators like Alberto Carvalho, superintendent of L.A. Unified School District, believe the organization acquiesced to political pressure. If you want to really learn about the history of the African-American experience, you cannot leave out or sanitize slavery or the civil rights movements or uh, the fact that our nation has criminalized activities resulting in disproportionate numbers of people of color being imprisoned. The curriculum is intended to be a roadmap, and teachers are free to introduce additional topics. Can I talk about Black Lives Matter? Of course I can. Can I talk about reparations in California? Of course I can. Just because it's not going to be tested on the exam, there's nothing that says you're not allowed to teach about these subjects. And despite the modifications, the class remains completely banned in Florida. In all, 18 states have passed laws restricting how race can be taught in K-12 schools. We cannot perpetuate a lie to our students and push this propaganda leftist agenda, teaching our kids to hate America and hate one another. I wanted to know if the Dorsey students were aware they were in the middle of a political firestorm. Do you all know that this class that we're sitting in right now is considered pretty controversial? Yes. yes. Do you think that it should be considered controversial? This isn't a political class. This isn't like, like choosing sides. It's history that everybody should know. I sat down with a group of them after class to hear more. What compelled all of you to want to take this class? I need to learn more about my people, my history. It's, it's the truth. Hassan Wright, a senior, rejected claims the class stoked racial division. So if there was a class, that was deliberately telling students to hate white people and hate this country, I would be against that class too. I don't think we should teach hatred of any kind.
and junior Jordan Love told me it changed the way he thought about black history. There's a major difference between having somebody tell you that you're the ancestor of a slave family and having somebody tell you that you're the ancestor of an advanced civilization. Knowledge is power. Is that what people are afraid of? Yes. yes. They want to keep us not knowing the truth. If we have that knowledge, we're able to speak out. Our voices are strongest weapon that we can use. There are some who say that education should not be about empowerment or advocacy. It should be education. If it's not about empowerment, why do you say the Pledge of Allegiance? Why do we teach about the Declaration of Independence? Why do we teach about the Constitution? Isn't that empowerment? A spokesman for the College Board denied caving to political pressure, and some said that some of the topics it removed may still be restored when the final curriculum is released later this year. Now, in a statement, Florida's Education Department pointed to new African-American history standards it says complies with state law. And LAUSD Chief Alberto Cavarlo, who served as head of Miami School District under Ron DeSantis until 2021, uh, he believes those new Florida standards, quote, erase history. Yeah, you know, it, it's so sad to me now that the word wokeism has now almost become weaponized. It, yeah. It's really missing the point about what's being taught here. You know, it, I don't look at it as wokeism so much as truthism. And I think if people would take the time to really see what is happening in these classes and what's being told, nowhere are we trying to say, anybody's trying to say hate white people, ignore, it, it, right. it, it drives me crazy when I hear that, Lisa. You know, wokeism but, but, is, just, is just misleading the, the future generations from learning about our yes, history. Yes, yes. And it is our history. Yeah, Everybody. exactly. Nothing yeah, about the but you took the class. I, yeah. yeah, I'd be curious about what you thought about the class. Yeah, nothing that I experienced in the class was hate-fueled exactly. by any means. And when I think about how we were taught history, how the humanity of it was removed. Yes. Um, and I do think that if we all had an opportunity to be exposed to more diverse histories, we might not be in this fractured state so that, that we are today. in this country and around the world, frankly. What were you going to say, Nick? The, the facts are that history is written by victors. And if you are a group that for generations have been under the foot of enslavement, oppression, discrimination, you are not learning your history. Right. I learned more about my history when I was in my late 20s after I left school uh -huh. because I was taught about the heroes, the war um, heroes, and the kings and queens that did not look like me for so long. And that's why this is frustrating. Yeah. Because history is written by the, the victors. Yes. There you go. Lisa, thank you. Thank and you it's good to have you. Thank yes. You. Great to have you at CBS. <laughs> and we thank appreciate you. your contributions. More from this episode of CBS Mornings after this short break. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And 
producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We welcome you back to CBS Mornings. Why? Because it's time to bring you some of the stories. It is one of my favorite segments. But I got a lot of favorite segments. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, we have an exclusive. We love, I know, love I know. talking. Oh, it's time for what to watch. It's the whole show. <laughs> it's the whole show. I just show. love the whole thing. And Vlad, you are in pole position. I'm in pole position. So my talk of the table is about someone who you may not recognize by name, but will be remembered for the many lives he helped. And that's how he wanted it. His name is Charles Feeney. He amassed about $8 billion during his career as an entrepreneur and began giving it away to charity in the early 1980s. In 2016, he made his final big donation when he wrote a $7 million check to his alma mater, Cornell University. But he actually gave millions to Cornell and to many other charities. And it marked the end of an era for Atlantic Philanthropies, his charitable foundations. Feeney kept just $2 million to live out his life at his rented apartment in San Francisco. He died yesterday. He was 92 years old. But I just want to put, I just want to explain to our viewers how he felt about his wealth. This is what he wrote uh, back in uh, a couple of years ago. He, he said, how much is rich beyond all expectations, beyond all deserving, so to speak? I just reached a conclusion with myself that money, buying boats and all the trimmings did not appeal to me. He mm. reversed his extravagant lifestyle. He started flying economy, living in a rented apartment. He gave away every single penny mm. of the $8 billion he amassed. He kept about $2 million for himself. He uh, left a small amount for his children, but the rest of the money he gave away. And the reason why you don't know his name is because a lot of rich people, they give their money and they want you to know it. That's yes. why they're Put my name on the wall. buildings. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Throughout the course of his entire life, as he was giving this money away, he never wanted his name displayed anywhere. Wow. I just think it's remarkable. And There's I something beautiful about amazing. that. Sounds amazing, yeah. Something quite poetic. Yeah, he Because when you start making that much money, you have this insatiable appetite to just get more, get more, gain more, right. gain more. But he came to the point where he's like, well, how much is more? Exactly How much right. do I need? Exactly right. He made his fortune, guys, uh, duty-free. You know, when we all get out the plane and we're going free through, shops. that's like, he started uh, duty free business after he got out of the Air Force, and he thought this might be a good way for returning servicemen and women to be able to purchase goods wow. on their transits, um, and that oh, business yeah. grew into a huge empire. Yeah, yeah. That, that goes right from the gate to the baggage claim. You got to walk through there. <laughs> no wonder he's making that money. <laughs> no, but that's a beautiful thing, though. What do you got going on, Dave? All right, so my talk at the table um, is uh, these bracelets right here, which sends an important message as we mark World Mental Health Day. The bracelets made their debut during the MTV Video Music Awards weekend, and we have a giant one right here in studio, as we showed you a little bit earlier. Now, why are these important? So MTV, which, like CBS, is part of the Paramount Global family and has a long-standing commitment to youth mental health. A recent survey commissioned by MTV found young people are more likely to seek help from friends rather than a mental health care provider. Now, friends might want to help, but 70% said they don't feel prepared to do so. Mm -hmm. So MTV teamed up with Active Minds organization um, to like create this. a peer support campaign and made these friendship bracelets. They offer a simple reminder about what we can do when we're trying to help someone experiencing an emotional challenge. Ask, A, acknowledge, S, support, K, 
keep in touch. We Very can simple. all do that, Nate. No doubt. It's, it's like the doubt. stop, drop, and roll for helping others. So MTV is distributing these bracelets around college campuses nationwide uh, during the fall. And the big one will travel to different cities to remind us of what we can do when it comes to supporting our friends, even if we feel like we might not be in a position to help. Yeah. We just Yeah, don't be afraid ask. to ask. That's right. Oh so here you That's, go, Gail. Yes. I got mine on. You have your own on. You know I have no trouble asking. Yeah, Gail's going to ask. That's a fact. Who and asking dating? and asking. Who you dating and what's her name? <laughs> and is she good for you? <laughs> Thanks, therapist. Yeah. King. You're welcome. My I could... Never mind. My talk of the table is what's being touted as a new phone call etiquette. Okay, experts say the new rules are this. Text first and then call, because people don't pick up numbers if they don't recognize mm -hmm. them. Well, I don't. Never leave a voicemail, because most people don't listen to them. Nope. That's absolutely true. Nope. A survey of cell phone users found that 92% prefer using text messages or those message apps to communicate with friends and family. Only 42% say they prefer making or receiving phone calls. Just 31% of people say they listen to voicemails from numbers they don't recognize. I never do that. Experts say many prefer the text messaging. Why? Because it's easy, it's immediate, and you can multitask while doing it. The other thing I really like for phone etiquette, don't use your speaker phone in public. Oh, that, that is happens oh, to you day, on the elevator. The that is the worst. On the elevator it. and on the phone, that's so you freaking see people rude. You on the street and are like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I, I don't mind on the street if you're I just mind walking. Everywhere. At oh, the I, airport I drives me yeah. crazy. Everywhere. No, Nate, the elevator. Elevator's wild. I heard Walkie all about this girl, what they were going to do. Somebody had pissed her off. I heard all about that. <laughs> and you're just sitting there trapped like a rat. So anyway, that's the new phone <laughs> etiquette. We like I like that. Those are good, Gail. Those are good. Moving on, our next guest, he doesn't break any of the rules anymore. It's Peloton's Alex Toussaint. He's been called the go-to guy to train all-star professional athletes. Since he began leading Peloton classes back in 2015, Toussaint has used his lessons he learned from a turbulent adolescence to motivate his riders. What can you sacrifice in the next 10 minutes to overcome that doubt, overcome that fear of losing? What can you sacrifice to help your team win? In moments like this, you gotta remember, Peloton family, we're individually tapping into our own greatness. But collectively, we're trying to go far together, baby. Go far together, baby. Tucson's new motivational memoir is called Activate Your Greatness. I love this title. We're very happy to say Alex Toussaint joins us now. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All I can say is your classes are so hard. It's but a tough class, love, yeah. Classes, <laughs> tough love. a very big love. guy on the Steadicam said yes, that you saved him during the, during the pandemic. A lot of people tell you yes, that. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I try to keep up with you, but you were so good. You were so popular and so well-liked, but it didn't start out that way. No, I want people to know a little bit about your backstory. You got kicked out of elementary school. You got kicked out of high school. You got kicked out of the military academy. Yes, ma'am. What was wrong with you? Clearly, were you angry? <laughs> what was happening mm, to you? I had a problem with authority. Um, most yeah. authoritative figure at the time was my father. Yes. Um, he got diagnosed with colon cancer when I was about seven years old, and that caused just a certain level of trauma within the household. So it became this revolving door of me getting in trouble at home, then getting sent to school, getting in trouble in school, coming back home, and I was never able to break the cycle. Mm. Thankfully, my father, just being aware and understanding that I had no sense, sense of discipline and self-accountability, he didn't want me to end up a statistic, yes. dead or in jail. Yeah, your dad was yeah. very, very tough on you. I mean, talk about tough love. Tough That's love. what you do in those classes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma he was very, very tough, but it did reach the point, and it really touched me in the book, where he called you one day after all the fraction, and he said, Lex, I'm proud of you. Yes. After you had accomplished all of that. Yes. All of this, and we'll talk about that too. What did that mean to you, that call? Everything. That was the number one sense of validation that I needed in this world. 
getting that sense of I'm proud of you from a black father. I think we searched for it for our entire lives. And that was the day I went from existing to living. What do you mean? 4.30 in the afternoon, April 6, 2016, he calls me and says, I'm proud of you. I will live my entire life to try to prove him wrong, yeah. and I was able to prove myself right. So I go, I tell people all the time, I existed in this bubble of negativity. Mm. Now I had that release of validation from my father, I'm able to live this thing called life to the best of my abilities and without any level of resistance. Wow, and you found yeah. it on a bicycle. Yes, ma'am. You've never been on a bike before. Never been on a bike before. Bike. Ever, never. But that bike helped me move my mind and my body and helped me allow a new perspective of life. And in the book, I talk about how you view yourself as how you treat yourself. And every day I push those pedals, it carves out the identity of who I want to be and where I want to go. But Nate, so, Alex was cleaning the bikes. Right, yeah. right. We're cleaning, cleaning the bikes. Mopping cleaning. the floors. Yeah, you were the yes, janitor at a, at a flywheel studio. Yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. Cleaning the bikes. And then you got on and the rest is history. I want to talk about another moment that you said um, kind of changed your perspective, which is hitting rock bottom. Yeah. And it forced you to reevaluate your life. How did that moment change you? It was one of those moments in life where you hit rock bottom, you know from then on out, you have to go up. I know for now, I don't ever want to shrink myself into an environment I've outgrown, and I have to continuously do the work every single day. Emotionally, how did you know you were at rock bottom? I did not know. Until I got into a spin bike and started moving my mind and my body, that, that informed me that I was in rock bottom, because I started to pull myself from the dark space into light. I never was able to identify rock bottom when you're in it. And I think mm. for a lot of people in this world, you're never really able to identify what that feels like until you get pulled out of it. That's good. So what I try to do every single day is move with the purpose and execute with an intention and help people that are viewing themselves in that dark space, pull them out to this other side called life in a beautiful perspective. So Alex, you already mentioned a little bit about this, but I want you to really break down for our viewers what you mean by stop existing yeah. and start living and this 48-hour rule, yeah. that's really what I want. I mean, I'm yeah, so I like that by too. that. This 48-hour yeah. rule yeah. that you talk about when you're thinking about turning your life around. When it comes to the stop existing, I think a lot of people in society live in this mindset of I can't, I won't, because they're scared to fail. My entire life, I would never even tried anything because I was scared to fail. But I understand now, failure. Fail, first attempt in learning. I understand that when I fail, to quote Will Smith, I fail fast, I fail now, I fail here, and I fail forward. That informs me, it provides me information, and most importantly, confidence to continue to go every single day. First attempt at living. Oh, first wow. attempt in, first You know what else I like? You don't believe in the fake it till you make it. Not right. at all. Not and, at all. And that, that surprises me because a lot of, I've had moments where you fake it till you make uh, it. You don't do that. Well, that's social media. Everybody does yes, it nowadays, Gil. True. Now, when you're raising Why it, don't also, you believe fake it till you make it? When you come from a, a family of Haitian immigrants, there's no such thing as faking it. Mm -hmm. uh, my parents had to do the work and put our family in a position. They see right through that. Right, right see right, right through, through that. Through yeah, yeah, there's no level They'll of They'll tell faking. you right They'll up. Yeah, you They'll don't tell you. Uh-uh. Exactly. One of the things I realized. I got bon. Yeah, So what do you believe? Don't fake What do you believe? Don't arrive to your destination unequipped. Take the time to go through the journey. Understand the trials, the tribulations, the setbacks, the adversity. That lets you understand who you are. And if you understand who you are at core value, it allows you to know where you want to take it. So don't ever rush the process. I'm all about trusting it. I'm not asking for myself, asking for a friend. Do you, are you available? <laughs> I'm not available. I'm thinking about Who's you, that friend? What's I'm not available. No, I won't say her name. <laughs> I'm, not available. I'm focused on this journey right now. <laughs> oh, you're not, not available. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, okay. All right, Alex. Right. He said it's a two-seater. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 I ain't riding solo. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Alex, you sound good. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Well done. Bike. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I wasn't expecting that answer. <laughs> Sorry, Jana. Activate Your Greatness is on sale today wherever you like to buy your book. The spices, you don't know about this. You like to eat your chicken dry. What's the one you introduced me to? Time. I did introduce you to time. You did, that how to be on time, how to cook with time. <laughs> <laughs> like all of those things. Pepper, time.
all of those things. That was a clip from the USA Network show She's the Boss, starring Nicole Walters and her family back in 2021. Walters is a podcast host, an entrepreneur, and self-proclaimed boss mom. She first went viral when she quit her job live on social media in 2019, and since then, she's built a successful motivational speaking business and started her own TV show. Now, she's out with her first book. It's called Nothing Is Missing, A Memoir of Living Boldly. It is published by Simon & Schuster, which, like CBS, is part of Paramount Global. Nicole, good morning. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Good morning. Thank you. I love the title of this book, Nothing Is Missing. Thank Explain you. to our viewers what that means. So, I mean, I think that we've all lost so much, if for nothing else, after the pandemic, kind of our idea of what we thought the world would, would give. And what's unfortunate is we get caught up in that idea. We yeah. start saying, what is missing? What can go back to the norm? But instead, if we shift to mm. nothing's missing, I lack nothing, mm. and everything I need in this moment has already arrived, it allows us to move forward with so much more grace. I want to talk about your philosophy of living boldly, making yes. bold decisions, because you attracted a lot of attention when you quit live <laughs> in front of everybody, everybody. Yes. 2019. <laughs> Can you just briefly take us to your mindset there, there, why you quit that way? And after you did it, did you have a, oh, bleep, what have I done? <laughs> of course. Who doesn't have that moment, right? But I always like to phrase it as, I didn't just quit my job, I hired myself. Mm. So I had planned, you know, to give myself a promotion. I built a business, I had a nest egg, I prepared. But when it came time to quit my job, I mean, call it burning down the bridge so I couldn't run back across it when I was scared. What was your right? job at the time? That you I quit? worked in corporate America for a Fortune 500. I'd mm -hmm. been doing that for a decade in business development. Mm -hmm. So I knew what I was jumping into, becoming a private consultant, but... Nevertheless, entrepreneurship is scary, you know, but bold moves are the beginning of anything great. And so that was just the first of many. Let's talk about when, we, when you were younger. You write that you were born into poverty. Yes. And you realized early on that no one was coming to save you. Yes. It reminds me of something I once heard. Uh, she needed a hero, so she became one. Mm. Um, what did you... Nicole, I, like how you I like how you absorb... Oh, yes. Oh, so that's me. That. That's yes. Right. Yes. yes. I'm always a learner. I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, um, yes. And what did you realize about yourself when you kind of came to your own aid? Sure, sure. So... First things, I mean, obviously we're, we all have systemic and societal circumstances that aren't our fault, right? We all have cards that we've been dealt that we want to honor and respect, but ultimately we do have our own agency. And it was important for me to realize what tools do I have and how can I use and leverage those to change my circumstances? Yeah. And that's what I mean when I say no one's coming to save you. It's that any big need or desire you want has to be initiated by you. Mm. Your, your parents play a big role in your, yes, your success do. story. You said you're, they're from Ghana. You, you said you have an immigrant mindset. Mm -hmm. Your father, unfortunately, is no longer with us. He, yes. he passed mm -hmm. away. But I am curious about what your mother makes of your success today. Because she seems proud of you, but she's oh, also yes. like, uh, hello. <laughs> so anyone who has immigrant or old Southern parents, they understand. I called my mother up just the other day and I told her I was in the book. And she's like, you know, this one is nice and all. I, thank you for putting me in your book. <laughs> but there's still time for, for medical school. You can still have twins. There's so much more you can still do. And I was like, more, Mom. I'm talking to Gail's. <laughs> so what more are. can I do? Can I but do? doesn't she say, you know, I had a hand in this. Of You're course. good, but yes. I had a hand in yes. it. Yes, and what's beautiful is she does also remind me that, look, this is something that's been long in the works and it's part of your ancestors. And I, I laid the foundation for you because I want 
want you to run with it. So she's supportive. She cheers me on. But she also reminds me that she wants to be a super grandma. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Before we go, really quickly, we got 30 seconds, but yeah. you're also the mom of three adopted daughters. Right. How did boldness play a role in how these young girls came to your life? Well, I met these girls after driving down a street in Baltimore, Maryland, and I very quickly, within 30 days, moved from mentor to mommy. And I just knew I had to be there That's extraordinary. in any ways they needed me. So it was bold, but it was so right. You talk your way into Wheel of Fortune. I mean, <laughs> I know, I know, Gail. Yeah, that story. Oh the gosh. book is loaded. That's okay. right. You've got to pick up this book. Uh, Nicole Walters, thank you very much. We're thank cheering you, you on. Yes. Nothing is missing goes on sale now. Pick it up. And we do thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow in your feed and Monday through Friday on your local CBS stations starting at 7 a.m. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. I'm Mo Rocca, and I'm excited to announce season four of my podcast, Mobituaries. I've got a whole new bunch of stories to share with you about the most fascinating people and things who are no longer with us. From famous figures who died on the very same day to the things I wish would die, like buffets. Listen to Mobituaries with Mo Rocca on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.